0: Scripture reading this morning will be taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 1 through 8. And in your pre Bibles that can be found on page 1049. 1 Thessalonians 3 1 through 8. Therefore, when we can no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you for you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before we were with you that we would suffer your tribulation just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I can no longer endure it, I sent to you to know your faith, lest by some means a tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us the good news of your faith and love, that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we are comforted concerning your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord.
1: Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here. It's encouragement having you, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you being here. I'm sure several of you are hunters. Those of you that enjoy hunting, it's exciting. The hunt itself is exciting, even if you don't bag anything. But have you ever thought about being on the other side of that? If you were the hunted, some of you perhaps have served in military service and you know that side of it. But I want all of you this morning to think about the fact of Paul. The great text that we've been studying through in 1 Thessalonians, when we look back to the beginning of that in Acts, the 17th chapter, you remember that Paul was only able to spend a short time there in Thessalonica. And what happened? A mob broke out. It was stirred up against him. They ran into Jason's house trying to find him. And when they couldn't find Paul, then later on, under the darkness of night, they allowed Paul to escape. His friends allowed him to escape. There he goes to Berea. Would he be safe there? No. The Jews would come to Thessala- from Thessalonica, hunting him there. And he has to go by boat to Athens. He leaves behind Silas and Timothy. And he arrives there alone. Now, what would cause this man that was a great missionary, that endured such great persecution? More than once in his life had he been hunted, and more than once had he been found. His body could show the scars of all the times that he had been hunted and persecuted. What would cause him to say, I can't stand it any longer? Would it be because some persecution was so severe? Would it be because he's just finally ready to give up on the Christian faith? This morning, this text in 1 Thessalonians, the third chapter, is beautiful. It's such an encouraging text. Out of all the things that would cause Paul to say, I just can't stand it any longer. It's to say, I can't endure it any longer. I want to send Timothy back to those of you in Thessalonica. I want to hear how you're doing in your faith. What a beautiful thought. I want to know whether or not these babes in Christ, if they're going to make it. Now, when we think about our graduates today, I know that graduates, they don't like to be described as youth any longer. After all, most of them are 18 years old. They're ready to be considered young adults, and rightfully so. And so I'm not suggesting here that it's a perfect parallel, but yet there's principles here. As he looks to those that are young converts, and, and that relationship that has been an encouragement to him, and Paul wants to be an encouragement to them, that I think are great parallels for us to make as we think about our graduates and as they're making transitions in their life at this very time. Let's go back and let's look at verse 1 and 2 again. And notice, as he says in verse 1, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Now notice what he sent them to do to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Paul says, I couldn't stand it any longer. I'm having to dunk and run everywhere, so now I can't go back to Thessalonica right now, but I couldn't stand it any longer, so I'm going to have Timothy to go back. And what great compliments he gives to Timothy. To describe Timothy as a brother. They're in this together. They're serving God as a part of God's family. But they're also ministers of God. They're servants of God, laboring in the gospel. What a beautiful description of Timothy. But that's for another lesson. Now think as he says here about Timothy. Paul, what do you want Timothy to do? Not only do I want you to just find out what are the conditions of these people, but I want you to help them as they're starting along. Now, remember the fact, as we've studied several weeks ago, they'd already heard the gospel and, and had obeyed the gospel. In other words, they had been baptized into Jesus Christ. He's addressing them now as infants in Christ. They're newborn babes in Christ. And so what he's asking Timothy to do is you go back and establish them. The idea is to set firm, to turn resolutely in a course of direction. That's what the word establish means. Paul says, Timothy, I'm sending you back to those babes in Christ. And you remember how it was ascribed to what Paul did for them? Remember how his reputation was that the one that has turned the world upside down has come here too, as we read in Acts 17th chapter in Thessalonica? And so now He's saying, yes, we've helped turn them around. We've helped them make a 180 degree turn in their life. But we want them to stay on that course. We don't want this to be something short term. So we want them to put their roots down. We want them to be grounded in Jesus Christ. Look with me on this next slide. And let's look at just a few times that this same word is used in the Scripture. And as we see how this word is used, it helps us to better understand how we look at those that are new in Christ and what we should do for them. When we think of this idea of establishing them, look in Luke, the 16th chapter. Verse 26, he's talking about the death of the rich man Lazarus, and there's something that separates them. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. That's right, that's the same Original word, as in the text we're reading today, where he says, I want you to establish them. And he goes ahead and says in this text, You can't cross that gulf. In other words, it's not, You can't cross it for a month or two. You can't cross it for a year or two. He's saying it's fixed, it is in place, it's permanent. And so Paul's sending Timothy back and he says, I want you to take them and deal with them in their faith. And I want you to help establish it. I want you to fix their faith. In other words, I want you to help them get their roots deep in the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, when we read later on in Luke, in the 22nd chapter, Peter was being addressed by Jesus. And he was being told that he would deny Jesus. But when he comes back, he has something that he wanted him to do. Notice he says, But I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen... Your brethren. The same word there is establish. In other words, you're going to go on your way away from me, and you're going to come back to me. And when you do, not only do I want you to put your roots down, but I want you to help other people put their roots down also. Acts, the second chapter, that's what he did. He was helping people put their roots down in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote about this same thing. In Romans, the first chapter, he wanted so desperately to go and to be with those people in Rome. He says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. He wanted to give them probably a miraculous gift. And he believed that in so doing, it was going to help strengthen their faith. He wanted them to put their roots down. Now, this leads us to the next. He also wanted Paul, wanted Timothy to go back and not only establish them, but he wanted to encourage them. Let's read the rest of here in Romans the 11th chapter and verse 12. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. You see, he wrote to those in Rome, and his plea was, I want to establish you, I want to encourage you. He sends Timothy back to those of Thessalonica, saying, I want you to be established, I want to encourage you. Now, if you had to define encouragement, how would you define it? The root of encouragement means to call near. We probably don't think about it that way very often. That's the root. To encourage someone is to call them to your side. In other words, if we're Christians, we encourage other people to come to the side of Christ. We're actually calling them near the side of Christ. And so as we think about this encouraging, he's sending Timothy back to encourage them to stay on the side of Christ. Now, let's notice how this is used a few times in Scriptures, just to help us better understand it. In Acts, the ninth chapter, late in the chapters when Dorcas dies, two individuals are sent to retrieve Peter. Now, notice what it says towards the end of that verse, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. They didn't go to Peter and say, By the way, we just want you to know Dorcas died. If you get a chance, you might stop by. They didn't do that. They didn't just go and say, We just want to make a suggestion to you. It'd be a good idea to stop by. They went and they were begging him, please come. This is a desperate situation. This is an emergency. One that we love dearly has passed away. Please come. Now what was Paul telling Timothy to do? You go and you encourage them. You implore them to stay on the path of righteousness. Seeing it also from Acts 2 and 40, that great sermon that Peter preached, we see the word encouraging as we look in Acts Acts 2 and 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. It's the same word. He testified to them and he encouraged them. In other words, Paul, uh, Peter did not get up and preach this sermon and say, I want to make some suggestions to you. He stood before them and he told them what the will of God was, and he urged them to obey that. Paul also uses this same word many times, except it's often translated I beseech. You see there in Romans 12 and one, one of those times. I beseech you therefore, brethren. In other words, he's begging them. Give their life as a spiritual sacrifice before God. Good, acceptable, and perfect before God. When we think about this, we think about that beginning. We think about that stand. And we honor our seniors today. And we say hats off to you. And we hope that we have been some way effective in helping you get your start in the Christian faith. We hope that it can be said, honestly, I grew up at the Mount Julia congregation, or it's there that I come to know the Lord. It's there that they helped establish me in my faith. It's there that they always encouraged me to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Listen, church, if that is not true, we've missed our mark. That's the purpose of a youth program. It's to help individuals be established. To encourage them in their faith. I believe that's happened here. When we see the tremendous educational department. When we see the retreats and the focus of spirituality and the camps and the Bible studies that take place. When we see young people serving God on a regular basis together. How wonderful it is to see that establishment. But what good is it if it starts and doesn't continue? That's the good news as Paul sent Timothy to check on them. I'd like for you to read with me again as we look at verse 3. Notice that he says, and this is in 1 Thessalonians 3, notice verse 3, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. And then for the rest of that verse and the other verse, next verse, he speaks of afflictions that no doubt he, Paul, had experienced. Keep in mind, he was being run out of town each time here. But you know, Paul wasn't the only one being afflicted. That's why he says, as you know, in that verse. You see, they were the ones, remember back in the first chapter in verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians, they received the word of God in much affliction. They too were being afflicted. Now what does he mean when he says, let no one be shaken. In other words, every individual is important. Every one of our graduates is important. We don't want to say a year from now, nine out of ten are our graduates are still faithful. We want to say 10 out of 10 are still faithful. In other words, going back to the language here, none are shaken. Homer and and others of that day, they would write using this same word to describe how a dog's tail would shake back and forth. Now, I want you to imagine something that's stationary, something that's rooted and grounded. And then I want you to imagine a dog running around the yard, just shaking his tail everywhere. That's the idea in the language here. Don't have a faith that's off the board this way one week or one month and then a faith that's way out here the next and and one minute you're on fire for God and the next minute you act like you don't even know God. He's saying, no, don't be shaken in your faith. Now, what could shake their faith? As we've already mentioned, he mentions one thing is the fear that all of the affliction, the persecution that they're undergoing, that Paul is undergoing, it may very well shake their faith. I need to learn this lesson. Nowhere does it say that living the Christian life is going to be easy. As a matter of fact, Jesus taught us that when He came to this earth, He suffered because He made a stand in righteousness. He was established in righteousness. He wouldn't give to wickedness. And because of that, He suffered. And then He said, "...the servant is not greater than their master." In other words, if you and I are servants of Jesus Christ, and we make our stand, we are established with Jesus Christ, we're going to suffer from time to time. I want to urge our graduates, I want to urge all of us, let's not be shaken in times when we have to give up some comfort, some popularity, some financial gain, some pleasure to keep our stand with Jesus Christ. It wasn't only the persecution. But did you notice as we read down there in verse 5, he also mentioned that what could shake them was the tempter. This is only the second time in the scriptures that Satan has been called the tempter. The other time that Satan was called the tempter was back in Matthew the fourth chapter. Remember when Jesus was going through that transition in his life? He was just beginning his public ministry. And now we have graduates that are making a transition in their life. And we see that Jesus had to deal with the tempter. And each time, he overcame the temptation by quoting Scripture. And that has not changed. You and I can overcome temptation when we know the Word of God, and it's hid in our heart. And when we are tempted, we know what God's will is for us, and we can recall that, because it keeps us focused, and it also gives us a weapon against the tempter. The greatest weapon still to fight temptation is the sword, the living Word of God. And so Paul, he sends news to Timothy. Travel over to Thessalonica. Find out if they've been shaken because of the affliction that's been going on. Find out if the tempter has overcome them. You see, the point is this. He didn't want them to just start. He wanted them to still be standing in the Christian faith. Now, brethren, this is when it gets good. Notice the good news. Let's read again verse 6 and 7. Notice the good news. Now we see their support. And when I talk about their support here, I'm talking about those of Thessalonica were a great support to Paul. Now somebody says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought Paul was the missionary that was trying to encourage and support them along. No, it works both ways. Let's read this again as we look in 6 and 7. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, notice what Timothy brought and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, notice this, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our afflictions and distress, we were comforted, and that's the same Greek word is used previously when he says, I want to send Timothy back to encourage you, Now he says, here we are in the middle of distress. We're in the middle of affliction. And you have encouraged us. You have comforted us. How? Concerning you by your faith. What a beautiful thought. Here Paul is. He's on the run. He's being hunted. And he says, I can't tell you how excited I am. Why? Timothy's back. Well, what did Timothy bring with him? Oh, you haven't heard the report? Oh, I am so encouraged. I'm ready to keep living for the Lord now. Why? What's the report? He said, you haven't heard about the faith and the love of those in Thessalonica? Graduates, I want to remind you of something. Your reputation will precede you. It doesn't matter where you go to college. Word will come back here. And when you're faithful there, it will come back home. And what an encouragement that is. It's awesome when you run into someone from a town and, where, where are you from? I'm from Mount Juliet. Wait a minute. We have a college student that's worshiping with us that grew up at Mount Juliet. Wow, they are great. They are A1. They are always so faithful. They're active in the work of the church here. Wow, what joy that brings. What encouragement that brings. And it's always known. The bad news travels back also. The bad news travels back. And you can turn that same coin over and the opposite is true. It breaks your heart to know that one, that as a church family we helped get them started, We did our very best. We're not perfect, but we did our best to establish them, to encourage them. Instead of standing, they were shaken. And now they're no longer living. Did you notice that second thing? Now, this is what amazes me about Scripture, of how it just doesn't change. It's the truth, and it's the truth in any generation. Do you notice that when young converts are faithful, what they want? They want to see other Christians. Do you see that? Desiring to come to you. Desiring to see you. Isn't that beautiful? Our young people, they go off to college next fall. They come home for Thanksgiving break. It's hard for them to hide on their face the truth. Some of them come home so excited to see their fellow Christians. They're excited to see people that went with them on retreats when they were growing up. They're excited to see Bible class teachers that invested their life and their heart in them. They're excited to see Christian mom and dads that had them over to their house when they were going over to their friend's house. They're just excited to see everybody. Why? Because they're living a life of faith and a life of love. And they just love being around Christians. They want to know, when's the retreat? If I can come in for the weekend, I want to go on the retreat with the high school kids. I want to help out. What's happening over the break? I'll be here for several weeks. I'd like to do something around the church. Oh, it's so encouraging to see those young people. And then that flip side is true also. The young people that they just can't hide it on their face, that they're not really glad to see Christians because it reminds them of everything they aren't anymore. They've been out partying all semester, and it makes them feel so guilty to come into a group that's giving their life to be holy. They've been hooking up all semester, and now they're supposed to sit in the midst of people that are worshipping a God, asking for them to give their life as a vessel of honor. They hadn't gone to church since they left Mount Juliet, and they're supposed to come home happy, when every step through the foyer they feel guilty. No wonder. No wonder Paul was so excited to hear the news. From Timothy. Their faith and their love is great. And they can't wait to see us again. That's a beautiful description. And what does that do for Paul? Here he is in the midst of the affliction. And what does it do for him? It puts him on a spiritual high. It lights his fire even more. He says, now I'm encouraged. Now I'm comforted. In other words, I don't believe that my work is in vain. I need to realize that I do not live as an island to myself. Graduates, if you leave the Lord, you will hurt the church that you've left. It's impossible to not do so, because none of us are an island to ourselves. And the opposite is true. When you leave and you remain faithful, it encourages us so much. You heard in the announcements a few minutes ago, Jeremy and Marie's wedding, it's less than two weeks away. I wonder how many of you have thought what I have thought over the last few months. I can't tell you the number of times I've seen them walk through the foyer together or be by working on something at the church building for some event and think to myself, that is the way it's supposed to be. What an encouragement. There's a young couple that she excelled in athletics and didn't sacrifice anything spiritually. There's a young man that that graduated from school. I was visiting with his boss the other day. And he said, that young man will be able to do anything he wants to do. Because of the kind of young man he is. Do you realize they are our next Christian family here at Mount Juliet? They're the next one. The next new Christian family at Mount Juliet. Think of all of you. We won't do it right now, but what if we said... How many of you have ever taught them in a Bible class? How many of you have ever gone on a retreat with them? How many of you have ever gone on a mission trip with them? How many of you have ever been with them on a devotional? How many of you have ever had one of them to come up and say something nice to you? One of the sweetest letters of encouragement I've ever received was from Marie. It does something to a whole congregation... whenever young people mature in the faith. It makes us believe that it's worth it to continue reinvesting in the young people. It makes a teacher believe that it's worth it to love a little more and study a little harder and challenge our youth a little more. It makes us believe that we can endure a little more affliction, a little more hardship, as Paul would say, it comforts me. Let's close with his thought here in verse 8. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. What does he mean by that? We live if you stand fast. He's saying, if you stand fast, we've found our purpose for living. Look Look at that next passage that's up there out of Philippians 1. We're picking up in the middle, but you'll get the gist of it here. Look in 23. This is Paul saying, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart. In other words, to die and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul, what do you want to do? I want to die and go to heaven. But what about if you have to stay on this earth? That's fine. If I stay on this earth, I have a purpose. I want to help someone else grow closer to God. Paul, what do you want Timothy to do? I want you to go back and help those people with Thessalonica grow closer to God. Timothy comes back and says, guess what? They're growing closer to God. He says, now I can live. That's my purpose for living. Success. Success in the life of the congregation is when the people's soul is right with God. And they find victory and helping the next generation be right with God. This morning, let's leave here. Let's leave here as individuals that if we haven't started, we're going to start that Christian walk. If you've never been baptized into Christ, won't you do that this morning? As a believer, willing to repent of sins and confess before God. Won't you, if you've started, make sure that you evaluate your life, and let's stand. It's not short-lived. We're in this for the long haul. We're in this for eternity. And let's make sure that we realize our life affects others. Let's live it so we do support others. What kind of effect am I having on my church family? And let's know that when life is over, not by the world's standards, but by God's standards, we have succeeded. We've drawn close to God and we've urged others to do the same. If you need to repent of sins and confess and And have the prayers of the church as a Christian, or if you need to become a Christian this morning...